everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. We went from normal life, healthy child, to acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. If you truly loved your mother, you would sit down and write her a lengthy letter. That's that sincere connection, not just the obligatory signature on a greeting card. It really was um, a homecoming. I mean, that's the simplest way to explain it, that you, you need to take the time out of your busy lives and to spend that one day with your mother, and it's not too much to ask. That's how the founder of Mother's Day thought we should celebrate the holiday. Today, historian Dr. Catherine Antolini tells us about the woman who invented Mother's Day and what a truly independent thinker she was. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Anna Jarvis created Mother's Day, which officially began in 1908. But if you think it's all about corsages and chocolates, well, think again. Jarvis hated anything that commercialized Mother's Day or in any way altered her vision for the day. So she went toe-to-toe with florists and greeting card sellers, and even Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. We learned fascinating details about Jarvis from Dr. Antolini, a history professor at West Virginia Wesleyan College. Among those facts is the irony that while Jarvis created the day to honor her own mother, she was never a mother herself. Listen and learn why Anna Jarvis is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. So welcome, uh, Dr. Antolini. Is it fair to call Anna Jarvis the mother of Mother's Day? Um, It's fair to call her that. She would never call herself that, though. Um, She would always call herself the founder of Mother's Day, but she considered the mothers of the mother of mother's day to be actually her own mother. So she always gave her own mother and Reese Jarvis 
credit for the idea of the day. So even though we might refer to Anna as the mother of Mother's Day, she never called herself that. So what was it that Anna Jarvis did to make Mother's Day an American holiday? And perhaps you could also tell us what life was like at the time for women and for mothers. So Anna Jarvis is interesting in her own right because she was um, this independent woman in the early 20th century trying to lead this movement. And she's unusual because she is a woman who never marries or has children, yet dedicates her life to creating this national holiday. Not just a national holiday, it becomes an international holiday um, in honor of mothers. So the first Mother's Day uh, celebration is on May 10th, 1908. And so that's the kind of start of, from then on out, we're going to celebrate a Mother's Day every second um, Sunday in May. But for those first years, it's her moving this movement. I mean, she is this, she starts this huge letter writing campaign. She reaches out to every governor in every state. She reaches out to any politician on the national level that she thinks can help her. She reaches out to churches. She reaches out to newspaper um, editors, magazine editors. She reaches out to any kind of um, powerful businessmen that she thinks can help her. So it, it's this powerful movement that she leads. What was her motivation? Why did she do that? Well, one of my favorite uh, quotes about her is she's that I created Mother's Day not because I loved my mother, it's because she loved uh. me. And so she would say that. But the story is that story dates back to um, an event that supposedly happened in Anna Jarvis's childhood. Her mother, Mrs. Jarvis, taught Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And so Mrs. Jarvis, this was in 1876, and Mrs. Jarvis was giving her Sunday school lesson on mothers of the Bible. And after she finished, her um, lesson, she said this prayer, all right? She goes, I hope and pray that someone sometime will found a Memorial Mother's Day commemorating her for the matchless service she renders to humanity in every field of life. She is entitled to it. So Anna says, I'm 12 years old. I overhear my mother say this, and it just stuck Interesting. with Interesting. And Yes. And so, and then Anna also mentions that she's, you know, that wasn't the first time she heard her mother say, I just really wish that somebody will create um, a day in honor of mothers. So when Mrs. Jarvis passes away in 1905, uh, that's when Anna starts thinking about somebody, you know, my mother had this prayer to create this day. I should be the one who does it. And so it's really in 1907 then that she really kind of starts this movement, which begins with this letter writing campaign. So we have the first official ceremony in 1908, though she continues the letter writing campaign and she's reaching out to everybody to, to kind of spread the word that you need to reserve the second Sunday in May in honor of mothers. And then finally it's in 1914 then where it becomes a national holiday. And, but she gives herself full credit for that, that it was her um, dedication that got to where the, it became official national holiday. Fascinating. You know, and I think 
we celebrate Mother's Day and we don't know much of this history, if any of it, frankly. So Mother's Day actually had feminist roots, it it strikes me, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you talk about the women who um, preceded Anna Jarvis, Anna Jarvis wasn't the first one to come up with the idea. And she admits that. She's like, I, was, I wasn't the first one with the idea, but she's the first one that, you know, took it all the way till it becomes a national holiday. But there are um, historians who like to point out Julia Ward Howe, for mm-hmm. example, um, who created uh, the Mother's Peace Day, which was celebrated um, between 1873 to about 1913. But it was always celebrated in June, on June 2nd. And it was primarily celebrated by peace um, associations. So, but um, Julia Ward Howe's vision was a day for mothers to come together and talk about what role we can play in um, ending war. Because as mothers, we have an instinct to want to protect our children, not to send them off to die in battle. So she really saw mothers, a Mother's Day in that early form as a day for mothers to become active. Mm-hmm. An activist model. Right. And Anna Jarvis does not have that same vision with her mother's day. But she's really inspired by what her mother said, and she's going to create this day of commemoration of mothers because of what they represent. Well, yeah, but the the problem is, is the fact that Anna Jarvis was never a mother. Mm -hmm. Her perspective of motherhood is through the eyes of a daughter. So she doesn't envision um, Mother's Day in her form as um, something for activism. That wasn't her vision. Her vision was a, it was more of a homecoming mm-hmm. that you take this one day out of the year and you spend it with your mother and you thank her for all the sacrifices um, she made to nurture you and, and to raise you. So because she, that's me, because as a woman that hasn't had children, that was her version. That was her vision of, of, of mother. It was through the eyes of a child. So it's much more of a, um, a sentimental or domestic kind of setting. That was Anna's vision. So what was Anna herself like? Uh, what was her upbringing like, for example? And was she typical of activist women of her generation? She, um, she grew up in, a, I would say, a, a middle kind of middling um, economic family. She did, um, at, it's a typical path for a woman who doesn't marry. She goes, she has two years of what we would call college. She teaches school for a period of time, which is a very typical um, job for a single woman in the late 19th century. It's not until the 1890s, she's 27 years old, until she moves away from Grafton, West Virginia, and she moves to Philadelphia to live with her brother, Claude, who's also um, unmarried. And Claude is a successful businessman in Philadelphia. He runs a cab company. So um, Anna works for a little bit. She works as a, a copy editor for an assurance company. So she, she's the first um, female copy editor for them. And so she does that for a little bit, but by 1912, she's not actively working. She's dedicated to this Mother's Day movement and she doesn't hold an independent job. So from what I understand, then it was, she funded her movement um, primarily through her brothers, 
financial assistance. I was wondering how she supported herself. So yeah. she did it through his efforts. Now, did she experience any kind of a backlash during her campaign uh, to create Mother's Day as a holiday? Sure, because um, it was her movement and she believed it was her holiday. So in 1912, she incorporates herself and, and creates the Mother's Day International Association, which is essentially her. And she will say we when she refers to the association, but it's essentially her. And it's headquartered out of her home that she shares with her brother and a younger sister. And um, she copyrights um, the words Mother's Day and the symbol, uh, symbol of the white carnation. And so she believes it's her legal property. So even after 1914 and it becomes a national holiday, she does not consider it public domain. She still consider, considers it her, her holiday. So she would threaten to sue people who tried to use her holiday in ways that she disagreed with. Now, as a strong, independent woman, she would get ridiculed for that. And, I, and this, again, I don't think it's unusual for the time period when you have women taking um, untraditional paths and choosing to remain single and, and economically independent and, and fierce and defending what's theirs, that they're called crazy or erratic. You know, I think for some of the, the people she fought with, and she fought with, she didn't back down from anybody. This is a woman who went toe-to-toe with FDR. This is a woman who did not back down from any other politician or any powerful man. Um, she wasn't afraid to stand up and accuse them of abusing her day or trying to profit from her day or trying to, you know, graft. They're they grafters or infringers or profiteers. She always had a name for them. She wasn't, she would never back down. And so I think some of the media portrayal of her in her later years might be a little bit unfair because um, any kind of sensational story about her, that something that they did, that she did that was um, un, you know, feminine would make it into the newspaper. So even though today most people don't know who she was, during her lifetime, she was a minor celebrity. So she would make it into the New York Times or the Baltimore Sun or right? she'd make it into the newspaper for some kind of attack. Or she's yelling at floral industries for explaining her day or she crashed um, a convention of American war mothers in 1925 because she accused them of using her using Mother's Day to raise money and then just pocketing it. And um, she was arrested once. So that kind of stuff uh, made it into the newspapers, but we can look at it as a strong woman defending um, what she believed was her property. Whereas it was easy to dismiss her if you were one of her enemies to dismiss her as a crazy old spinster. So you mentioned that she went toe to toe with FDR. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, Her fight with FDR really begins um, in the 1930s when he's president. Um, In 1933, Congress alters the Mother's Day resolution that was first passed in 1914. In 1933, Congress kind of alters it and suggests that Americans, as part of honoring mothers on the second Sunday in May, that they donate to charities because it's the Depression, right? So you can understand why they changed. That just went through Anna Jarvis. She hated that. She hated the idea of, um, 
first of all, she hated the idea of mothers being pitied for anything, right? Mother's Day was unconditional gratitude, unconditional love um, to, to women. And it's not a day to pity them for being poor, pity them for not having, you know, certain kind of basics. It was a day that you um, just love and honor. And she had a heart. She just didn't trust charities. It's, it's kind of, kind of um, odd. And we know Anna about her fights with the floor industry and the greeting cards industry. I mean, she hated that, but she also fought charities and would go after certain charities. So Eleanor Roosevelt was connected to some charities that um, used Mother's Day as a fundraiser. And so she didn't appreciate that. So she'd write letters to Eleanor Roosevelt telling her to stop it. And she would write letters to FDR telling her, you know, do you know what your wife is doing? And then um, she was mad at FDR because he was he was seeming to allow these charities to run with her day. And so she was not afraid to <laughs> to send a telegram, you know, telling him of how upset she was. So I, I, I always respected that, man. She would, you know, go after FDR as easily as she'd go after, you know, a florist down the street that was trying to profit off the sales of White Carnation. She did not um, back down. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. So what did she want to have happen on Mother's Day? How did she want people to commemorate the day? It was ultimately a homecoming. That's all. It was you go home and you spend the day with your mother. If you can't um, spend the day with her, write a letter. And, And so she did have a problem with um, commercialization, especially with um, like greeting cards. 
she it was almost like um greeting cards is a kind of facsimile of affection <laughs> right if you truly loved your mother you would sit down and write her a lengthy letter that's that's sincere um connection not just the obligatory signature on a greeting card so it wasn't about all the bells and whistles it really was um a homecoming i mean that's the simplest way to explain it that you you need to take day take the time out of your busy lives and to spend that one day with your mother and it's not too much to ask now i read someplace that she had a quote about that her reaction to the commercialization of mother's day <laughs> um well the the easiest one she always um threatened to end it and I'm, I don't know how she thought could she do could. That, yeah. I know, but she always threatened to do it. So one of her quotes um, was, and, and again, she says we, because she, she, when she referred to her association, she said we, but mostly it's her. We would rather have a hundred persons celebrate Mother's Day in a true spirit than we would prefer to have a thousand persons abuse it. To us, the Mother's Day work has been carried to wonderful success. It would not be a loss if it is never again celebrated. When Mother's Day, when Mother's Day stops, we will stop it. Um, and in our way, if we so choose. You know, I'm thinking about Mother's Day and the flowers and the greeting cards and all that uh, it has taken on today, and wondering just if Anna were still with us, would she be even more outraged? Sure. I mean, she was already mad at the floor by 1912. She's already mad um, at the floor industry and the greeting cards and, and candy makers, she's already mad. And the, the reason that she wanted it to be on a Sunday was because she didn't want it to be commercialized. Everything was closed in those days, right? Yeah. Right. It was, she wanted it to be, you know, in the vein of what a holidays used to be, they used to be holy mm -hmm. days. So she wanted it to fall on a Sunday. So she even said, you know, she was upset by the early 20th century of how commercialized Christmas had become. And she didn't want her holiday to fall in that. But it was, that was kind of naive of her <laughs> to think that that wouldn't happen. It's just so interesting that she was the sole operator, if you will, behind Mother's Day, that she actually licensed as such or copyrighted as such. Yes. And she would have disclaimers. She would have whole letterhead and everything, and she'd write letters, and she put disclaimers on there about unauthorized use of her of her day and she would see how did you. you come to study her so intently it was by chance i was in um graduate school at west virginia university in morgantown and i was already interested in the history of motherhood in general and so i was asked to speak at the international mother's day shrine in grafton west virginia so that's uh, it's a museum um that honors the first celebration of Mother's Day because it was held in that church. So the church where the first Mother's Day service was held is in Grafton, West Virginia. And so it's now a museum. So I was asked to go just talk about motherhood um, at this um, museum. And then they gave me a tour and they took me into the kitchen. They're just showing me the kitchen of this church. And on the floor in boxes were a bunch of documents. And by chance, one of them told me, oh, yes, we have some um, documents that belong to Anna Jarvis. So I'm like, but you can't keep them on the floor <laughs> in box. And, and historian with documents yeah. in front of her? I can't imagine how you felt. I cringed because my first image is, you know, one bad winter and the pipes freeze and burst. You're going to lose. And by that time, the documents were almost 100 years old. And um, so I volunteered to 
archive them for them. I'm like, let me, you, you know, let me tell you what boxes you need, archival safe boxes. Let me go through everything, put them safe, and we can put them up high <laughs> where they're, you know, off the floor. And the only thing I asked for was permission to photocopy um, anything I thought was interesting. And so I figured maybe I would get an article or something out of it. And so I just became fascinated. I didn't know that much about the woman. I knew she was the founder of Mother's Day. I knew she got mad on how it was commercialized. But, but beyond that, I didn't know that much about her. So I'm going through all these, these documents. And I come across um, a transcribed letter um, that she wrote in 1933. And in this letter, she's just, you can tell that something has gotten to her. And she's just um, ranting. And she's listing all these people that she's mad at. And of course, the floor industry is in there. The greeting card industry is in there as part of her rant. But then she's naming off all these charities and she's naming off these politicians. And she's, and I'm like, well, what did these people do to you that got you so mad? They contaminated her Mother's Day. That's right. So that's how it started. And I, I, so I started to look into who these charities that she identified that she resented so much and why, you know, why are you mad at Eleanor Roosevelt and why are you mad at Francis Perkins and why, you know, and, um, and then that just took me down the rabbit hole and that's, and it became my dissertation. Oh, it was your dissertation. Yeah. And yeah. was there a particular angle of the dissertation topic? It's, um, well, it's the overall history of her movement, but the chapter is, the, each chapter is kind of broken up to um, the, these, these different groups that she fought with, because that's an angle that nobody really covered. Everybody knows her fight with the floor industry, and there's been historians who've done nice work um, looking at the commercialization of holidays and, the, and that include Mother's Day. But here I am with these documents that are, and she's yelling at all these charity groups, and I just went with it. And I looked into all these different groups and why she was so mad with mad um, at them. And it was it was fascinating. And it's so interesting to me that she was mad at Francis Perkins and Eleanor Roosevelt, who yes. are viewed as great uh, supporters of women in every way, frankly. And they were doing good. They were involved with charities that were doing good work. Yeah. But with Anna, it was just it was all about what we would call transparency. She just didn't believe that all these people who are using her day to raise money for women, that it was actually going towards women. I see. Yeah, it was going to line the pockets of paid organizers. So she was just very suspicious of that and vocally expressed that in every way. One of my favorite um, telegrams or letters, actually, it was a letter she wrote to Frances Perkins. She actually compared her to Mussolini indirectly. Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> and so she was, you know, Anna... That's why I was so impressed with her, man. She never backed down from anybody. So what happened with the documents then at the museum? Are they in safekeeping today? And They're safekeeping. They're all in um, archival safe boxes up high. <laughs> so no flood will, will take them. Well, you achieved something there too. Yes. <laughs> now, you know, today we're all struggling with the, the consequences of COVID and there's been much written about the disproportionate impact it's had on women and certainly on the burden on mothers, um, working mothers, especially. What do you think Anna Jarvis, if she were alive today, would say about honoring uh, them today? Well, of course, she honors mothers in the idea of any duty to your family. So if that's a domestic duty, if you're a full-time mother, if that's economic, your duty is also 
supporter. She would respect that, right? It's 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 the service that mothers give to their families. Um, no, regardless in what vein. Of course, when she created her holiday, it's early 20th century, and it's and you know it's still unusual for married women um, to be working. But what's interesting is, um, and I thought about this particularly last Mother's Day when it was you know thing the peak of this pandemic and. And um, Anna Jarvis would have loved the COVID Mother's Day. I mean, she she would love the idea of a family needing to be isolated together, right? The simplicity of it. You don't go out and buy anything. You don't go out to a meal. It's just you at home with your mother. And the idea that you're taking this time and you may, and being with your mother um, in the midst of this crisis that you would really, truly appreciate um, what she has done for you. So she would have liked that, the very kind of simplistic celebration that the quarantining and the social isolation has kind of forced us to do. She would have really appreciated that. Now, her mother, her mother, um, Anne Reese Jarvis, was an activist in her own right um, um, in the late 19th century particularly, well, more mid-19th century. In the 1850s, Anne Reese Jarvis, so right before the war, created what were known as Mother, Mother's Day Work Clubs. And she organized women, these were mothers, she organized uh, mothers to come together to learn about hygiene and sanitation. You know, this is the mid-19th century and infant mortality rates um, are high, right? So this is a time period where... Um, Mothers didn't expect all their children to live. And frank, frankly, Anne Reese Jarvis had 13 children and only four lived oh my. to be adults. So she was, you know, so she created these clubs with other mothers um, and then would have been Western Virginia. And they learned about, you know, sanitation and how to stop the spread of diseases. So they're kind of, you know, it kind of reminds me of um, kind of first responders, right? These are women who were, were, concerned about the spread of disease. And one thing they would do is that they would help quarantine a family. If a family, if an epidemic, you know, family is sick, they would help quarantine them and give them supplies so the disease wouldn't spread. So I imagine if Anne Reeves Jarvis was alive um, and her, her Mother's Day vision was very much more of an activism, you know, that she, I imagine her creating, you know, modern day versions of Mother's Day work clubs to help women who are first responders, right? To help women who had to work and make sure they're safe and their families are safe. So it was, it was interesting um, to kind of think about how these two women who had distinctly different versions of what a mother's day should look like, how they would deal with the COVID crisis. Well, it's, it's all really fascinating. And I can't imagine when mother's day rolls along next, which is not too far away, that I won't be thinking about Anna Jarvis in this conversation with you, Dr. Antolini. I wonder, uh, as since we have to come to a close, regrettably, to our fascinating conversation, you've spent years studying her. Uh, you're obviously deeply engrossed in who she was and what she did. I wonder what inspiration you take from her. She was clearly a very feisty woman. Feisty is a good um, way to describe her. I just, I admired her determination. And um, her bravery, even in the face of being called crazy or being dismissed as a spinster or trying, and they're trying to kind of belittle her um, and her, you know, her role in this day. She 
would not back down. And she would never apologize. She might deny saying something later, but um, she would never apologize for it. So everything she did in defense of her day, um, she never regretted it. She never backed down from that. She would regret that the day became commercialized and um, that would wear on her. But she doesn't apologize for her actions in establishing the day in the first place. Well, Dr. Catherine Antolini, thank you so much for shedding light on Anna Jarvis, the founder of Mother's Day. It's just been uh, so fascinating and interesting uh, to have you join us today and tell us about her. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'll never see Mother's Day the same way again. What a fascinating person Anna Jarvis was. Here are three things I took away from that conversation. First, whatever her idiosyncrasies, Anna Jarvis had the right idea about Mother's Day. At its core is the unconditional love of mother for child and vice versa. And the best way we can honor that love is to spend real, meaningful time with our mothers. Ironically, COVID has thrown a new light on motherhood. It's forced us to narrow our activities and allowed us to appreciate the most important relationship in our lives. Finally, we should thank Anna Jarvis for creating Mother's Day and for persisting in her vision for it. As Dr. Antolini tells us, Jarvis was called crazy. She was derided as a spinster, but she never backed down and never apologized for what she believed was the most fitting tribute to motherhood. Tune in next Tuesday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.
Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com.com slash compatibility.